Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Indeed, and uh, we are pleased to be joined now by Sher Michael Singleton, uh, political commentator and the host of the Sher Michael Singleton Show on Sirius XM, to talk about some of uh, uh, some some trending political headlines today. Sher Michael, good to hear you. Uh, have you back on the program, sir. How are you today? It's a pleasure to be back with you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Nah, man, good to hear your voice, and uh, thank you for the time. Um, let, let me start with this. Um, this poll came out um, a couple of days ago, and I've been literally pouring through it, uh, trying to make sense of it. The headline, of course, got my attention, but I wanted to understand it a little bit better, so I've been, uh, been uh, again, spending some time with it. But the headline of the poll is that um, voters share almost no political beliefs. I'm talking about the left and the right. But they uh, appear to agree on one thing, that we are failing as a nation. And I raise this because I've seen this most recent poll and, and some others of late that seem to suggest that there is now a majority of Americans who believe that our best days as a country, our best days as a nation are behind us. And that that's scary to me for a lot of reasons, which which you and I can unpack here over the next few minutes. Uh, but 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 how do you how do you read this data that's coming out? And again, this is just one of a number of polls I've seen of late that most Americans, whether they're left or Democrat, Republican or Democrat, uh, left or right, rather Republican or Democrat, think that we, broadly speaking, are failing as a nation, that we are on the wrong track. I mean, Tavis, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm familiar with it. And as you've cited, there are and have been similar polls over the past couple of years now yeah. that have sort of indicated this serious frustration and hopelessness among a growing percent of Americans. Mm-hmm. At once upon a time, it was mostly among racial minorities, in part because of the marginalization that we've seen in the country. But now, Tavis, you're seeing this across all Americans, including mm-hmm. the majority population that being white. You see a, a growing divide between wealth and income prosperity. You see a growing divide with education, a growing divide with health care and, and other resources. And so I think it is people not having access to those things that's growing anxiety. And at some point, Tavis, I believe this is going to turn into ire. And I, and I hope that this doesn't turn to people wanting to physically actualize their frustration and hopelessness. Yep. I'm glad you went there because uh, I want to follow you there because that, that's that's the, that's the end game here. Like if this 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 fatalism, as it were, uh, mm-hmm. take, takes hold, um, where does that what does that lead us? I'm, I'm looking at these numbers now. Um, two thirds of Republicans over 65, two thirds of them say the country is on the verge of failure. Now, again, when you got a bunch of white folk uh, who, who are up in age, who are suggesting to you that they believe the nation is on the verge of failure. That's a that's a pretty damning indictment, is it not? No, I think it is, Tavis. And, and again, uh, you know, I, I think race still plays a pivotal role in our country, but I'm starting to see a lot of data, Tavis, that indicates that these economic and educational disparities are real. Mm-hmm. And it perhaps may be two of the most critical singular things that we've seen in a very long time, arguably even ever, that could bring people together despite their racial, ethnic, and gender, and religious differences. That's my hope, mm-hmm. because then I would argue 
that if there is agreement, you're able to build coalitions that can then in turn put pressure on the legislators, that can put pressure on these corporate duopolies to change things, to foster an environment where everyone is given an ethical uh, shot, if you will, uh, to, to achieve and to reach for their dreams and their goals. That, that's the only path forward, I would argue. Now, granted, this is early. We'll see where this stuff goes in the next decade or so. But I want to be optimistic here, Tavis, that people will come together and say, you know what, these other divides, we've got to put them to the side. We've got to discard them. There are some bigger things ahead of us. Yep. Um, I've said this more times than I can count. This audience knows that. I do believe that our democracy is fragile. Uh, I believe that we are on the precipice. I believe that poverty is a threat to our very democracy. Uh, I mm-hmm. believe that this growing gap between the rich and the rest of us cannot be sustained. Say nothing of global warming and climate change. There's a long list of things that I think are damaging not just our democracy, but frankly, our very existence. That said, I wonder whether or not uh, that whether or not this really is uh, fatalism or whether or not this is just politics, whether or not people are telling these pollsters that they believe our country's on the verge of failure because the guy they want isn't in the White House at the moment. I don't think that's true, Tavis. Mm-hmm. I think it is fatalism, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I used to be a deputy chief of staff at HUD. And when you would look at the data on people having access to home ownership, which traditionally was the way you would build wealth in this country, mm-hmm. those numbers are decreasing, particularly for people in my age group of millennials, or like Johnny, who works at, with you on the radio show in our mm-hmm. age group. It's harder for us to buy homes, man. You look at the survey results of people who live in major cities. Tavis, to get a 900-square-foot apartment is two, $3,000. Yeah. People can't afford it. They say, well, get an education. That's, that, that'll help you. To go to school, average tuition is $30,000, $40,000. Most families don't have the money saved for this. So I think it is fatalism, uh, Tavis. I think it's real for people. People are struggling. They're looking for help, whether it's from the left, from the right, and they're not getting it. And guess what? During the COVID pandemic, Tavis, we spent over $6 trillion. Mm-hmm. The government did. We saw household income increase by over $30 trillion. But guess what? Most of that wealth was regulated to the top 10%. People are saying they're sick of this. Yeah. I wonder to what extent the pandemic and the resulting economic impact um, has people feeling so fatalistic. I mean, I, I wondered about this during the pandemic and so said to a number of friends. I've said it, I'm sure, on this program um, that that the, the mental anguish that came along with just being locked up in that way and the fear and trepidation that people had that we would never get back to things being normalized. And indeed, there is a new normal. Um, to what extent do you think the pandemic and, again, the resulting economic impact have caused more fellow citizens to feel this sense of fatalism? I think it was a realization for most people that if an emergency were to ever occur, they really are not prepared. Yeah, There was a Susie Orman uh, survey that came out, Tavis, a couple months ago that garnered a lot of attention, specifically in the business community. Mm-hmm. And when it showcased was close to 90% of Americans can't afford an emergency bill between $500 and $1,000. Mm-hmm. Close to 90%, Tavis, mm-hmm. regardless of the ethnic ba- uh, breakdown. Sure. And so what COVID showed us was that if we have emer- an emergency pandemic, People can't afford to buy food. They can't afford to take care of the baby. They can't afford to pay for rent. And God forbid when you incorporate the medical costs, right, mm-hmm. of particularly having to go to the hospital for weeks or a month or to take care of an ailing parent or grandparent that may have also 
suffer through the virus, people feel insecure because they don't have the means to take care of themselves or people who are close to them, Tavis. That is going to cause significant anxiety across the country, and it is going to lead to that fatalism where people feel that they don't have anything to look forward to. So we mentioned some Republican numbers a moment ago. There are fewer Democrats, according to this most recent survey, who see the country as nearing collapse, fewer Democrats. But gender is the defining characteristic associated with this sort of pessimistic outlook about our future. Gender is the defining issue. When we come forward, I'll tell you what, what Democratic and Republican women feel about the future of this country. But again, gender is the defining issue in this survey about fatalism. And we'll unpack that with Michael Singleton when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Some. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. It does indeed with uh, Shermichael Singleton, host of the Shermichael Singleton program on Sirius XM, uh, talking, in case you've just tuned in, about this um, new study. And there have been a number of these of late uh, that suggest that um, a majority of Americans think uh, apparently that our best days as a nation are behind us. Uh, many Americans, uh, many fellow citizens feel that our uh, country is on the verge of failing uh, and so we're talking about that that fatalism and where that's coming from and perhaps what can be done about it in the months and years to come. So I was saying a moment ago, Sir Michael, that fewer Democrats see the country nearing collapse than do Republicans. But the ultimate uh, and defining issue here with this survey is gender. Democratic and Republican women, both Democratic and Republican women are more likely than their male counterparts to feel pessimistic and fatalistic about our future that surprised me um and and I, I'm, I'm not even sure why it surprised me except for the fact that you know that women i i, I this is this is I'm, I'm generalizing here but women are mothers women have babies women you know find a way to push through my mother says all the time you want something done right get a woman to do it so i i <laughs> I, I, I guess i guess i i was i was a little little distressed because i thought that women might be a little more optimistic than men who complain and and, and are grumpy and you know, etc etc but according to this data republican and uh, democratic and republican women are more likely than males to be fatalistic about the future to feel fatalistic about our future how did you read that you know i was actually surprised by that tavis and i'll tell you why yeah. i was just on television a couple of weeks ago analyzing this data that just came out not too long ago that showcased that women are going to college at faster rates than men they're graduating at higher rates than men uh we're slowly the starting to see uh, changes in the gender wage gap depending on the, the particular field the woman is in. Uh, there is a, a growing percent of men that are committing suicide. I mean, the, the data was was really concerning and revelatory. Mm. And so when I saw this data in terms of, of liberal and conservative women being fatalistic about the direction of the country, I was a bit surprised. And I thought, well, I wonder how much of the abortion issue plays mm. a part in that. Mm. I, I wonder how much does access to health care uh, play a part in that. Mm. I also wonder how much is the stress of women wanting to have their careers while also trying to be mothers and also trying to be wives and, and, and the impact that that is having coming mostly from us as men and the rest of society putting that. That's a lot of pressure, Tavis. Yeah, yeah. No and, and so I, I'm not surprised when you consider those variables that women are feeling 
I guess, stressed. I wouldn't necessarily say depressed, mm-hmm. but certainly feeling the expectations that we have placed upon them. Yeah. No, that, so for different reasons, and I, I, that's why I love talking to you, you make me see things uh, through prisms that I might not have considered heretofore. Um, hadn't thought about it in that way, but uh, for different reasons, but we are both, again, um, admittedly surprised that more women than men uh, are pessimistic about the future of this country. I guess the, the penultimate question is whether anything can be done, whether we're Republican, whether we're Democrat, male or female, can anything be done to stop us from feeling so fatalistic? I think so. I think you have to restore hope for people. And I know that sounds like such a cliche to say, Tavis. Hey, 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 it, it, may, it may be a cliche, but it got one guy elected and got him two terms. Well, <laughs> that, that notion, that of, that notion of hope. That is true. Yeah. But, 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 but I think realistically, though, and so let's just say beyond the aspiration, yeah. you have to have legislation that targets access to affordable education. We have to further figure out ways to make access to health care affordable and cheaper. I think you have to really increase this infrastructure so that people in rural and urban areas have access to quality education and access to technology and Internet. Yeah. I mean, all of these things, I would argue, fosters an environment for people to be more well-rounded individuals. No, I get it. I think, I think it could lead to people having access to, to more competitive jobs. Mm-hmm. you got to have an education to be able to compete in a more technologically advanced society. And so... I would want an approach that that's centered around building up the whole individual yeah. around education, around access to health care, uh, and ultimately gearing those people to be able to compete for higher paying jobs, whether that's with a university uh, job, uh, Tavis, or with some type of a trade training. Yeah, no point well taken. Um, I, I receive that. Um, in our remaining moments, Richard Michael Singleton, um, you can't have uh, a conversation about trending news, political news, without talking about Donald Trump. And there is some trending Trump news. We'll get to it when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this is Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 All right, Shermichael Singleton, we got about four minutes left in this conversation. Uh, there's some Trump news here, two things, specifically political news. I want to weave, this, weave these things together and get out of your way and give you these last couple minutes to, to, to sound off as, as you wish. So there's a new poll out today uh, conducted by the Des Moines Register, NBC News, and Mediacom before and after Mr. Trump's latest indictment in Georgia, before and after. The new, the new poll out today and the new survey out today finds that 42% of Republican voters in Iowa uh, plan to support Donald Trump. He's leading uh, DeSantis of Florida by 23 points. That's how wide this gap is. Uh, uh, leading him by 23 points. In third place, Tim Scott with just 9%. Uh, I should say DeSantis has 19%. So Trump's got 42, DeSantis 19, Tim Scott in third at 9%. Uh, he's kicking all their behinds in Iowa. And this new poll, again, taken before and after the indictments, just in case you're curious. So he's dominating in this Iowa poll. As a result of that, perhaps, Trump has now confirmed that he will not participate, of course, in the first GEO debate this Wednesday, but today has also teased that he may skip more debates. So not only is his, uh, he, he's raising money, his poll numbers are growing, and now he's so arrogant that he's saying, I ain't coming to debates, not this first one, and I may not come to any of them. How do you read Donald Trump just digging his heels in? I mean, you know, January 2016, he skipped one debate after his back and forth with Megyn Kelly at Fox News. I think I'm not surprised that he's skipping this one, but I, I think it would be a bridge too far to skip 
continuous debates. I mean, people are going to expect him to show up at some point. With that said, though, Tavis, is what I've been saying for months now. Donald Trump is the likely nominee for the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident that we are to see a face-off again between Trump and Biden. And I'm not convinced that Donald Trump cannot win again, as some individuals are freely, willingly saying. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an easy win for Biden. I'm not certain of that. Uh, Donald Trump's approval ratings have increased over 20 percent over the past tw- three months. He was at 50 percent approval within the Republican Party. Now it's at 70 there was a just poll, a recent poll that just came out that was cited on CNN earlier today that's been making its rounds all over the place here in D.C. Uh, that showcased that there isn't a leader between Trump and Biden right now. They're in a statistical tie. Now, people may say, well, it's early. Well, let me, let me just say this, Tavis. At the same point, when Trump was in office facing Biden, it was very clear that Trump was in trouble. This time around, the numbers are looking different. And what it indicates to us, those of us who are into the data, is that Donald Trump has a real mathematical probability of winning enough swing states to return to the White House. People aren't happy with Joe Biden right now or Kamala Harris. They're not happy with the economy, although the White House said, oh, everything is getting better. People don't feel it. And I'll just say this quickly. Perception is oftentimes reality. Yeah. No, it's scary stuff, man. <laughs> it is scary stuff. Uh, but he's 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 doubling up on them in uh, in Iowa, and again suggesting he may not do all these debates. We shall see. The first one, of course, Wednesday night. We will see what comes of that. But what does it really matter uh, that they all show up if if he doesn't? But he's still leading in the polls. Again, it's a long time between now uh, and election day. But this stuff is getting more and more interesting by the day. Sure, Michael Singleton, good to have you on. We'll do it again, sir. All the best to you. Thank you, Tavis. And hey, if you want me to come on this week to analyze the debate, I'm available. Trust me, we'll find you. We will find you. We're going to have to analyze it one way or another, whether we want to or not. we got to analyze it. So thank you for the offer. We'll take you up on it.